Thanks for being here. My name's Stephen. If you're new to the Stone Creek story, I'm the pastor here. So glad that you're here and what an honor it is. And uh, the one thing I'd say about our church is we're a Jesus church. Amen, somebody. And hopefully after the end of this uh, sermon in the next couple of hours, uh, you'll know why. So, um, you know, we have been in this season called Advent. So let's all say Advent together. Advent. And Advent, as most of us understand it and think about it, is really the Christmas season. And, and we know that Advent technically means arrival. So you have the first arrival that Jesus came, born in Bethlehem, and that story that we'll talk about today. And so you do have the first Advent, but there's also the second arrival that we anticipate, and that's when Jesus is coming back. And because of the promise of the first arrival, we can have certainty of the second arrival. You see, the first arrival was just this celebration. That's what we're doing today. But, but we live into that second arrival with anticipation that he's coming back. You know, and there's this one word that just marks Christmas that is its superpower. Man, it's just one word that, that makes it what it is, that makes it special, that helps us distinguish it from every other time and season of year. And that's the word joy, Right? That's the word joy. Man, we love joy. There's so much joy that surrounds Christmas. If you just begin to think about it, we sing Joy to the World, one of the top five Christmas songs uh, that we sing. How many people, Joy to the World is your favorite song? Nobody. That happened in the second service too. And so I'm glad to know. I'm prepping you for later on that. Um, what in the world? Top five? Can you give me that? All right. Thank you. Lie. Just lie. It doesn't matter. I gave you permission, but we sing Christmas carols that make it special. Nobody sings Halloween carols, do they? I mean, Christmas carols are different, man. We have this different season. We say things like what? Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. Now, I know some of you bristle up when somebody says happy holidays because you're like, they're taking the Christ out of Christmas. Calm down, okay? They're just trying to express joy in the only way they know how. And one of the great ways that we experience joy is through gifts. Like, whose idea was it to wrap gifts? Like, you know what I mean? Like, why would you wrap gifts? The reason why you would wrap them is so you can unwrap them and experience the expression of joy on someone's face. Like, there is no better picture of that than when a kid opens a gift. Am I right? Like, man, when you see a kid open a gift, it is just such joy that you get to experience. Like, one of my favorite is from Polar Express. When you see Billy and Hero Boy, who knows why they didn't give him a name, but um, they find these gifts on Santa's sleigh and just this joy on their face. Or what about Ralphie when he got his Red Rider BB gun? Let's go, somebody. Right? I mean, just, you know he's going to shoot his eye out, but it doesn't matter. It's still joy in the moment because he got what he wanted, such joy. And then I stumbled, on, I stumbled on this video of a little girl opening her gift, and I just could not share it with you. So take a look at this. Like, don't you want that to be your life? I mean, it is so good. Like, that's really what I look like when I open gifts, right? Because that's my love language. So someone will say, I'm going to give you a gift. I'm like, let me fix my face because we're about to have some fun. Man, what joy. Man, what a great expression. What a great model. Like, and here's the reality is, and theologians and philosophers throughout the centuries have pointed this fact out. We are all on the hunt for joy. We are all driven by joy, by what's going to bring us happiness or satisfaction or gladness or whatever, whatever the word is we would put in there. Man, we're all looking for it. It's the reason you came to this service today at this particular time on this day, isn't it? 
Like you came because it fit your schedule. Um, maybe you came because your neighbor kept bothering you and you just want to get them off your back. Um, maybe you came to this service because it's the one you've come to for years and it is your memory and you want to light the candle. And it just means something to you. Like we are driven by joy. We do things so that we can find joy. Now there's a lot of different words that kind of are surface level words for joy. For instance, happiness is one of those and we're all looking for happiness and joy can look a lot like happiness, especially, especially at Christmas if every Everything you bought was on sale, right? Husbands are really happy about that one, aren't they? Right? We are happy when things are cheap. Um, now, satisfaction is another word that we use, and that, that will happen if you got everybody what they really wanted. You feel a little sense of satisfaction. Gladness is another word that we use. Um, that, that means that you just got everybody a gift that got you one, and you don't feel obligated. And so we just have different words that are surface level, but true joy is deeper than that. Man, true joy is soul shifting. It drives everything about us. Man, it drives our decisions. It drives why we get into relationships. It drives the jobs that we take or the education that uh, we pursue. It, it, it will drive where we go on vacation because who wants to go somewhere that they hate? You know, like the mountains. Like who goes there on vacation? Yeah, I know. Nobody likes that. Everybody likes the beach, right? So, so it drives everything. So if this is so fundamental to us, this is so central to how we make decisions and live and move and breathe and are motivated. How is your joy? Like if you had to ask yourself and just give yourself a rating, how is your joy? How many of you guys have kids? How would your kids say your joy is? There's a little murmur there, not much. Huh. What about your spouse or your neighbor, or your coworker? your parents, your family, your sibling, like how would they say your joy is? Let me help you rate it a little bit. We're gonna use a scale, okay? So I got a scale. Um, like on the left, you may be on the low end of the scale, you may be the Grinch, right? <laughs> Maybe you like, you just hate Christmas. I don't know why they have Christmas. I wish somebody would steal Christmas. It costs too much time and too much money. I wish we never had Christmas. I could go to sleep in November and wake up in the middle of January, I'd be happy, right? You hate, man, Anybody sitting next to a Grinch? No, I'm just kidding. Don't, don't do that. What about, what about this one? On the other end of the scale, you got Buddy the Elf, right? Does anybody like Christmas more than he does? You know? I mean, in one of the cheesiest Christmas movies, but he is the funniest character, right? Because he has a lot of joy. And then we have, on the other end, maybe you have Scrooge. You know, you like it maybe just a little bit. You're going to turn the corner after all the scary dreams, but, but you still, you don't really like Christmas, and then also, then you got Frosty the Snowman up here. Now, we, we know Frosty the Snowman was a what? Jolly, happy soul with a corncob pipe and a button eyes and button nose and two eyes made out of coal. Yeah, I mean, we know that he's a jolly, happy soul. We know that he's happy. Somewhere in the middle, you got Santa Claus, you know, because at first he hated Christmas, but then he turned the corner and became Santa Claus. And then maybe somewhere on the other end, you have John Myers, our worship pastor, I have to say, I got corrected on this. Somebody chastised me and said, he's not an eight, he's a nine and a half. So where, where would you be on that scale? Like, like, what would it look like for you? How, how, is, how is your joy? And what if, what if on your scale of joy, more joy was available for you to live out of? See, the joy of Advent is more than just a cheat day on keto, as great as that is. It's more than your three-month-old sleeping through the night for the first time or no lines at Costco. It's more than your kids' grades, a Mediterranean vacation, or the next promotion. 
but it is a deep-seated, soul-shifting state of living. See, Advent joy powers you through the trials of life. It encourages you when the chips are down. Man, it picks you up when you feel like giving up. Joy colors in the black and white spaces of your life and makes you come alive. If that's true, and this type of joy is available, there's got to be a deeper source of joy than our decisions, our choices, and our circumstances. Joy has got to be found in a person. Now, the joy story starts, as we know, at least for Christmas in Bethlehem. It's where we kind of begin picking up the story. And just a few months ago, back in March, I just had this privilege of going on the dream trip, right, to get to Israel. As a pastor, that's the thing you always want to go. And we got to go and spend some time in Bethlehem. And while we were there, we had a tour guide who just completely loved his job, loved what he did, was in love with the area and everything that it meant uh, in history and throughout eternity. And, you know, as we would walk through the village and we would see little houses, I would just imagine Mary and Joseph making their way through knocking on the door, trying to find a place to stay because there was no room for them anywhere else. And then I would just look up at the sky and I would just think, this is the same sky that the angels appeared. And then our tour guide said this, would someone like to stand up and read Luke chapter two? Would you like to stand up and read the Christmas story out of Luke chapter two? And of course, being the pastor, I jumped up and I went into the story. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census would be taken of the entire Roman world. It was the first census taken while Cornelius was the governor of Syria and everyone had to go to his own town to register. So Joseph went up from Nazareth, which is in Galilee, to Judea, to Bethlehem, the city of David, because he was of the house and the family of David. And he went there to be registered along with Mary, who was engaged to be his wife and was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And Mary gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and laid him in the manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And in a field nearby were shepherds keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord showed round about them and they were terrified. But the angel said, fear not, for I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find the baby wrapped in cloths and lying in manger. And suddenly with the angel appeared a multitude of angels praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among men with whom he is well pleased. And when the angels had returned into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that the angels have told us about. And so with haste, they made their way. And when they arrived, they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger And they told everyone what had been made known to them. And everyone wondered at what the shepherds were saying. But Mary, Mary pondered these things. She treasured them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, praising and glorifying God that everything they had been told was just as they had seen it. This is true joy. Like this is the Christmas story. This is what the promise of joy and the person of joy happened at Christmas so I just want to walk through the story with us for this next, these next few minutes that we have together. Now, the first question I have to ask is like, what is joy? What, what exactly is joy that's promised? And do I even really want that joy? You know, that kind of joy is more than, it's more than a turn the frown upside down kind of phrase. <laughs> it's more than what we used to tell our kids. We want shiners, not whiners. <laughs> it's more than your attitude determines your altitude. Thank you, John Maxwell. That's still awesome. But Joy is deeper than that. Joy is this settled assurance that God's goodness and promises determine the story of my life. Let me just say that again. 
It's this settled assurance that God's goodness and promises determine the story of my life. It's a quiet confidence that ultimately everything is going to be used for my good and for God's glory. It's the determined choice to praise God in every situation. It's agreeing with God about the total story, not just the part I can see right now. No matter my circumstances, I can still navigate them with a confident assurance that God's goodness and promises determine the story of my life. And this is joy. C.S. Lewis, who wrote the Chronicles of Narnia, a lot of stuff that maybe you've heard of, read, seen the movie, said this. He said, joy is the serious business of heaven, like serious business of heaven. It's not just an add-on. It's not just what happens after hours. It is the serious business of heaven. Like if we were to take Jesus and put him on our joy scale, he would be way off in 11, okay? Like he, he is beyond the scale because that's why there's more joy available. And some of us <clears throat> probably grew up in a tradition that may would have made us think that the opposite is true. Like, I don't know if some of you may grow up, grew up going to church and uh, you had to put on fancy clothes that you really loved because you wore them to school every day, right? Only wore them on Sundays. And maybe you sat in services that just didn't have any connection. And maybe you sat on hard pews that made a lot of noise. And maybe there's just something that you were taught and led to believe that if it's sacred, it's got to be unenjoyable. And you're like, Dad, I want to have fun. And he's like, fun? We're going to church. You're not having fun, you know? I mean, that seems to be the mentality that many people grew up with. But as we look at the Bible, what we see over and over and over and over and over again is that God is a God of joy. God is a creator of joy that foundationally God is, part, is, is about joy. If you look in Psalm chapter 16, verse 11, it says, you will make known to me the pathway of life in your presence is fullness of joy. Like this is the promise. That as we are in God's presence is the fullness of joy. It is all joy. It is nothing. There is no more joy to be found anywhere else than in the presence of God. Like this is the promise that we have from God. That God is the creator and sustainer of joy. Um, joy you know, God's, God's character is holy first before anything. His motive is love. But the destination of that love is joy. It's where God is, that's the journey that we're on as, as, in, as a progressive journey of the Christian life. Now, now, there's two words that are kind of used to characterize this in the Bible. One is joy and one is rejoice. Obviously very similar. So joy, joy is just the state of your soul, that you have joy as a state of your soul. And rejoicing is just reminding yourself and others that you have joy. That's why joy always makes its way out, right? You've heard of dance with joy, Shout for joy. Have you ever met anybody and you ask them, is something wrong? And they're like, no. And you're like, would you please tell your face? Because you look like something is wrong. Joy always makes its way out. In the Bible, joy and rejoice are used over 400 times. 400 times. So what I want to do is I want to go through every single one of those while we can. <laughs> See, you think that's full of joy. No, I'm kidding. You're full of something else. Um, <laughs> So 430 times. So I want to start out and just walk through this story because here's the reality. The shepherd's experience of joy, of finding God, of coming and experiencing joy and going back and leaving with joy, that's for all of us. It's not just for some of us. So if we look in Luke chapter two and we start in verse 10, 
It says, the angel said, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And so let's just give the shepherds a little credit here and just a little bit of uh, high-level history of of the shepherds because sometimes we miss out and we forget exactly what's happening here. Now, in this particular region, Bethlehem, the sheep that were raised, they were raised for the Passover celebration. Now, this is really important to know because the number one holy day for the Jewish religion was Passover. And they celebrated their emancipation from slavery. They celebrated the fact that they got out of Egypt and God took them to the promised land. And one of the ways that they celebrated it was what's called the Passover celebration. And every year at Passover, they celebrated by sacrificing a lamb, a lamb that was raised a special way, that was perfect without blemish. And so these lambs that are being raised in Bethlehem, not ordinary run of the mill. Right, They are special for a very special celebration. And so these shepherds were very special shepherds, but they're not normally out in the field. Like the reason why shepherds are out in the field is because it's time for all these sheep to give birth. Otherwise, they're hanging around in villages and little corrals, but now they're out, out of their comfort zone. It is cold, it is windy, it is scary out there. Right? Can you imagine being a shepherd and every little noise would make you jump, probably. Anybody in here scary that way? The same ones that like joy of the world? Let's go. <laughs> but imagine you're on edge. You're trying to protect these sheep. You're out of the open, exposed, grinding it out, and an angel shows up. Now, we have to remember, the angels that they experienced, man, it's not like gentle toilet paper Cupid that you see. It's like, it's like a transformer showing up to you. Like angels are fierce. And so they show up and what's the first thing they say? Fear not. Like how many times does fear steal our joy? I mean, we're afraid of the future, got anxiety about what's coming. We're looking past now to the future. We're creating scenarios that will probably never happen. And we live in fear. It's why our culture is so inundated with anxiety and overwhelmed with anxiety is we forget we forget that there's some joy that's offered to us. So the shepherds, man, the shepherds were fearful. They say, fear not. And then, and then the first words that the angel says to them says, behold. After he gets through the, the fear not, he says, behold. Now the word behold just literally means pay attention. Pay attention. Now this word is used 1,100 times in the Bible. Feels like we're not paying attention, doesn't it? Like, like I can remember I had a basketball coach. You guys know this saying. He would tell me, he would, be, he would tell us. He'd be like, hey, listen with your eyes. Listen with your eyes. That's what I'm thinking for y'all right now. Everybody right here, listen with your eyes. There was a pastor, I can remember when I was a kid, we'd go to the church and he would say this. Somebody missed that, let me say it again. I'm like, how did he know? <laughs> but we need to pay attention because what we pay attention to is gonna drive our joy. And the angel knows that if we're not paying attention to the right things, it's gonna steal our joy. Now, a couple of things that we pay attention to that are distracting us from joy. Number one, I'm gonna say comparison. Comparison. Have you noticed the opportunities we have to compare our lives with other people? You know, uh, Roosevelt is credited with saying, comparison is the thief of joy. Twain said, comparison is the death of joy. Did you compare yourself with anybody walking in today? What about your cars, like when you parked? Just, we, we, we're inundated with comparison and we just look around through social media and celebrities tend to give us all these things to compare to. And we compare ourselves to people online and, and they're just actors and celebrities. They're actually in our circle of influence that we don't even know, but they get influence over us. 
And they pose as thought leaders, but actually they're thought destroyers because what they offer doesn't lead to joy. It just leads to more consumption and more uh, feelings of inadequacy. So we have this, this demon of comparison that comes after us. You know what the other one is that's really high on our list? Comfort. Like, don't you love to be comfortable? I mean, I want my agenda. I want my timetable. I want my way. I want, I want to be comfortable. And there's this ultimate pursuit that we have. There's no time in history that's a bonanza for comfort than, than what we live in today. What kind of food do you want to go eat? You can get it. You can just walk there almost. You can certainly drive there. And where would you like to go on vacation, the mountains or the beach? And where would you like to go for a quick, long weekend? And we just have this ability to have comfort. And not that there's anything wrong with it, but when we believe it's going to really provide our joy, what happens is we're going to be disappointed. And we have so many options. Just think about a few of them. We can load up on prescription medications. We can watch back-to-back-to-back-to-back-to-back-to-back episodes of Yellowstone. We can obsess over college football. You, not me. We can indulge in a little junk food just because we, we earned it. We can, while we're at it, we can load up on alcohol. We can join a bunch of Facebook crazies in their comments criticizing the world. There's just a great buffet of options for us to pursue comfort. But what the problem is, man, they distract our attention from who can truly give us joy. So the angel tells the shepherd, behold, and then we see this good news of great joy. Listen, good news always produces great joy. Have you noticed that? Like when you get some good news, it's going to produce some great joy in you. You know, like if you think about the birth of a child and what good news it is and the celebration that happens, man, it's just good news. And you just, you produce great joy. Like you get people who become grandparents that lose their mind. Right. And, and they're always like, wait, why didn't you treat us like that? That's what you, we, you know, that's what grandparents do. They just spoil their grandkids. I'm just going to tell you something right here. Not me. Right. Not me. I've got three grandkids not getting spoiled by pops. I'm just telling you. And y'all are all like, yeah, right. And you're right. I will spoil them. Um, but we know marriage, weddings, great celebration. Good news. Someone gets engaged. Great celebration. Good news. Good news produces great joy. And so the angel says good news has happened. And the word that's used for great here can't escape us. The word that's used for great here is a pretty unique word. So it means as tall as possible, as high as possible, beyond the clouds, beyond the heavens. It means as wide as possible from east to west. It means as heavy as possible. It means as old as possible from beginning to end, that there is nothing that can overwhelm this joy. This kind of joy overwhelms everything This is what the angels are telling the shepherds. So we have good news of great joy. Now the Bible, and I'll get to this in just a second, it's a gritty book. Like it's not, don't worry, be happy, right? It's not full of trite cliches that go on your coffee cup or that you get down at Hobby Lobby, okay? That's not what happens. Man, it gets into the grit and the grime and the difficulty and the heartache and the sadness and the tears and sorrow of life. And it tells you, hey, there's something better that's coming. And so when we see great joy, we know that our circumstances doesn't have to have the last word on us. They gave good news of great joy to who? All people. All people. Like this is the promise of joy. It's for everybody. Man, we should all have joy no matter what. Now, now I've heard people say this, hey, you just need to grow up. You know what? That, that's good. But sometimes you got to grow up and put your big boy pants on. Like sometimes you got to grow up and put a smile on. How about that? Like sometimes the bigger fight It's to fight for joy, isn't it? It's to get after joy. I mean, that's a mark of maturity. That's a mark of experience when someone can walk through the heavy roads of life and still keep moving 
Man, that's what joy will do. Listen, regardless of who you are, you can be transformed by joy. Like no matter where you are in your life story, man, joy can change you for the better. And you can be a person of joy. You ever meet anybody that says this, you know what, I'm just a realist, Stephen. I'm just a realist. You know what a realist is? A pessimist who's disguised himself as a realist. That's what a realist is. Man, a realist can negate joy, but we see it's for all people. And here's why. Joy is more than what you see with your eyes right now. Like there's more to your life than this life. And they get this promise of joy. And then we see the person of joy. Watch what they say. They give three words to describe the person of joy. Number one, they they use this word savior. And that word literally just means deliverer. That there was a need and that God came in and met it in the person of Jesus. And so we all have a need. And sometimes we just, we just misplace what our true need is. Like we, we think if, if our need was purely economic, God would have sent an economist. If our need were ultimately political, God would have sent a politician. We wish he would, don't we? If, if, <laughs> if, if, our, if our primary need were just physical healing, God would have sent a doctor. But hey, God sent a savior. Why? Because our primary need isn't for bad people to be good, it's for dead people to come alive. That when we have searched for joy outside of God, that the definition of that is that we have spiritual death, right? That we have separated ourselves from God. And so he sent a savior to bring us back. That is the ultimate need in the room today. You may not have joy today simply because you're not connected to the one who created you and gave you spiritual and can give you spiritual life. Starts with savior. Then he moves to Christ, right? And Christ just means king. Just mean he's in charge and he'll protect you. We all, we all have people who are in charge of us or something that's in charge of. We have a belief system. We have something that kind of guides and defines how we make decisions and what we do. Who's your king? Who would your kids say is your king? Is it your job, your career, your finances, your spouse? Maybe it's your kids or maybe it's the true king. The Bible calls him the king of kings, calls him the Lord of lords, calls him the king of glory, calls him the king of life. Man, he's the king. And then Lord just means supreme. Just means he is really good. And we forget that because we are so bogged down in things that happen to us because there's some bad things that happen to people, but it doesn't mean that God's not good. Listen, joy is not something you get. It's someone you meet. You don't hear anything else. Joy is not something you get. It is someone you meet. In Psalm chapter four, let me read that. Psalm chapter four, it's a part of the Bible. Uh, Verse six says this. There are many who say, who will show us some good? So they're looking for people who are good. It says, lift up the light of your face on us, Lord, like God. We're looking for people who are good. Are you good? This is what the question is. And then David says this. You've put more joy in my heart than they have when their wine and grain abound. So wine and grain in the ancient world is just uh, two things that go together to mean wealth. So you put more joy in my heart than what wealth can bring me. Now, now let's be honest. Wealth can bring us a little happiness. Let's be honest. It can buy us some things. You know, you say you can't buy happiness. Ah, maybe for a little bit of time. You want to know somebody who's happy? Somebody's riding on that jet ski right there. That's somebody that's happy. (laughs) But eventually... It's going to run out of gas. It's going to deteriorate. It's going to break. It's going to leave you stranded. 
You know what somebody else who's happy? Somebody that gets this Defender for Christmas. Everybody's like, ooh. You get a Defender, and you get a Defender, and you get a Defender. But think about it. Eventually, man, it's going to deteriorate. There's going to be an upgrade. Your teenager's going to back into it in the driveway. Like, these things can't bring ultimate happiness. Man, you know, you know what else looks like happiness? A, a beach vacation. It can bring a temporary satisfaction. And there's one of two things that happen at the end of a beach vacation. One is you get to the end of like, that was awesome. When are we going to do the next one? And we just start pursuing the next vacation. Or we say, that was terrible. Do we have to do that again? One of two things happen. It cannot bring ultimate Joy. It can bring temporary happiness, but all of this is just a signpost to real joy. All of these temporary satisfactions, man, the great meals that we're going to have over the holidays, the rest that we're going to get as we just take a few days off of work, man, the rich conversations that we'll have with family, they're pointing to Jesus. Every single one of them is what David is saying. Jesus is better. Man, David had experienced it all when he wrote these words. I mean, he's the king. He's rich. He's bought more stuff than, than you know, he, he's given away more money than some of us will ever make in our lifetimes. And he says, you know what? You're better. He says, and the word he uses for wine is pretty interesting because it's a word for new wine. And what, he's, what David is trying to describe is just the best wine possible. So he's not talking about that Boda box you stuck in your fridge out in the garage for your mother-in-law. He's talking about that 1945 Romanet Cuvée that sold for half a million dollars. That's what he's talking about. He says, Jesus, you're better. He says, I've been to their parties, seen their plans. I know what that life's about. And he says, Jesus, you're better. Man, joy comes in a person. Lasting joy comes when every longing is fulfilled forever. Lasting joy comes when every longing is fulfilled forever. Now, here's what's wild. Some of you, most of you, at least all of us understand a little bit about this. Feel like when you begin to follow God, he's going to take away the things that you enjoy. Have you ever thought that? I have to move to the middle of nowhere and live in poverty. Maybe. But I tell you what, I've been around people who live in poverty in other parts of the world. They got a lot of joy. They have a lot of joy. But you can't assume that God wants to take away things from you when he, he created joy in the first place. Like, don't ever believe the lie that when you follow God, that you're gonna, he's going to hold out on you. That's the first sin in the book of Genesis. And he's got good things for all of us. And lasting joy comes when every longing is fulfilled forever. Now, now, the demands of life don't have to steal our joy. You know, there's a couple of things that, that come across in life that make it hard for us to have joy. One of those is trials, tragedy, tears, Man, when we face the death of somebody or get a cancer diagnosis or lose a job or face bankruptcy or go through a divorce, man, there's, there's a lot of tough things that happen that, that come along and, and the Bible deals with them, right? The Bible doesn't say, he doesn't try to gloss over them and every character in the Bible has something devastating happen to them, including Jesus who was executed. So let's never forget that. And does, suffering doesn't take God by surprise, there's a great verse in the book of Psalms. It says, weeping may last for the night, but joy comes in the morning. I mean, joy is waiting for you. I mean, joy is coming for you. And there's even a way that you can move through difficult times with joy. Man, so trials have this ability to distract us. Not only that, but you know what can distract you and make you lose some joy? When you get tired, 
You ever been around a two-year-old that didn't have a nap? And they're just angry and frustrated. You never outgrow that. <laughs> when you're tired, and I mean soul tired, you, you begin to lose your joy. And one of the things that we need to remember is that we need some rest. You know, we're tired because we're in a hurry. Anybody feel that tonight? You're in a hurry. You got a lot to do. When Aaron said something about gifts, you remembered the one you hadn't bought yet. You may suffer from hurry if you move from one checkout line to another because it looks shorter and faster, only to find out it's not. The person in front of you is paying with a check. <laughs> I just thought of that. I don't know why. You count the cars in front of you in traffic and you get in the lane that's going the fastest or has the least amount of cars. You feel like moving slow is a character flaw in someone and you talk out loud to them even though you know they can't hear you. You're always telling your kids, hurry up, hurry up, hurry up. And they feel like that's their middle name. You get frustrated with Wi-Fi speed at your house. Data is going around the globe into the universe somewhere and it's too slow for us. Man, we're just in a hurry. And we're always moving. What happens, it distracts us and we don't get. And our life just feels like it's interrupted. It feels like we got one interruption after another, after another. Nehemiah chapter eight says, the joy of the Lord is my strength. Right, the, my, my strength, when I feel tired, when I feel weak, when I feel down, it's the joy of the Lord that keeps me going. It's what picks me up. It was, it's what reminds me of the real priorities in life. Man, it's the joy of the Lord. Like it reminds me of this story of a, a jazz musician named Wynton Marsalis. I would ask if you've heard of him, but I feel like maybe that would be a no. Now, how many have heard of Wynton? Great, great musician, right? Uh, well acclaimed, a lot of awards, a lot of, lot of praise. And there's a story about that once he was in, in a little club called the Village, um, uh, the Village Vanguard. Yeah, somebody knew that. Village Vanguard. You want to tell a story? Who was that? No, I'm kidding. That's cool. Um, the Village of Vanguard. And while he goes in to play, it's a small crowd, and some people stumbled in there, didn't even realize, really realize he was going to be the one playing. And so he's playing, and there's a reporter who's there, and he's playing through one of his uh, great songs, I Don't Stand a Ghost of a Chance with You. And he just has this ability as he plays notes, it just makes you feel them, right? It just takes you on this journey. And so he's taking the crowd on the journey, they're mesmerized, and they're in, and they're quiet, and they're paying attention, so they're just locked in to this musician. And then as he's kind of coming to the conclusion of the song, he plays these last few notes, just really slow, I don't stand, a ghost of a chance, and then this happens. And of course, the room begins to fidget just a little bit. Marsalis just stops playing. Everybody grabs their drink. The offender runs out of the hallway with his cell phone. And the reporter writes down, magic ruined. Marsalis takes a breath, and he replays the ringtone on his trumpet. <laughs> then he plays it a second time. Then he begins to improvise. And he goes through a journey of chord changes in songs, and then he comes back in for the landing. I don't stand a ghost of a chance with you. Right where he had planned to land the song. Doesn't that just remind you of God? Like in the interruptions of life, the ins and the outs, the difficulties that we face, the unexpected turns that our life takes, and God has a way of weaving in why the joy of the Lord is our strength.
Now, as I was talking earlier about joy to the world, the thing about joy to the world is we sing it as a Christmas song. And originally, it wasn't written as a Christmas song. Originally, it was written by a guy named Isaac Watts, who wrote a lot of the old hymns that some of us still love. And it got adapted to a Christmas song, but originally it was written for the second coming, the second advent, the second arrival. And you see, in life, there's, there's two great celebrations that happen. One is the birth of a child, and we feel, think about the birth of Jesus and everything that meant that he came as a Savior, who was Christ, the Lord, that to give us life. There's so much celebration that goes with that. But that, that advent is an invitation to the second one. You see, the second celebration, the second most celebrated event in our lives is what? A wedding. And we spend a lot of money on weddings. We, we, we go on destinations. We, spend, we get dressed up. And we eat and we drink and we dance. We stay up late. We may stay up for days celebrating because it's such a great celebration. And this is the picture we have of the second coming of Jesus. It is a wedding celebration. In the book of Revelation, it's the last book of the Bible. It just kind of points out how things are going to go down in the end. It gives us this picture. It says, hallelujah, for the Lord, our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It has granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. And the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who were invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Invited. And, and the great invitation came at the birth of Jesus, that the way was open for all of us. Not everybody will follow it. Not everybody will be invited to the marriage, not marriage supper. Not everybody will sit around the tables of heaven and the campfires of heaven telling stories and celebrating everything that God has done. But you can. That's the promise of, the, of, the, that's the promise of Christmas says this about the end. Mountains will bow down. Trees will burst forth. Seas will resound. Nations once divided by strife will converge in unity. The broken will find healing. The lost will find their true home. The oppressed will taste freedom. Every tear is wiped away. Every scar is transformed. All the world will sing together. Joy for the king has come. He has come to ransom his people He's come to right every wrong and to make all things new. Joy to the world. Why? Because the king has come and he's coming again. Let's pray together.